Uh, I'm going to be looking this morning at John chapter 10, verses 1 to 18, Jesus the Good Shepherd. So part of the series of, um, of, the, of the, the series on the life of Jesus or the, who, who the person of Jesus is. So we'll look at this part of Jesus' um, character, him as the Good Shepherd. Um, so today I want to talk about this idea in Scripture. It's actually an extended metaphor that goes all throughout Scripture and used uh, pretty extensively in John chapter 10 about sheep and a shepherd. It was a common sight in Jesus' day, not as common for us city dwellers, though I think up, up here in Shunyi you do see sheep moving around with some kind of shepherd with them. Um, this video clip I found amusing because the sheep were completely acting out of character. They were trying to have a brave heart, and that's the last thing that they were. Near the end of the clip, we see that they're actually who sheep are. They're vulnerable, they're subservient, and they're powerless. And this is one of the ideas of the sheep and shepherd analogy. So we're going to look at this story, John chapter 10, uh, verses uh, 1 through 17, and we're going to look at it in two parts. The first part is verses 1 to 6, and then we'll look at the second part, verses 7 to 18. This is a, like a parable, not quite like the parables in the other Gospels. It's more like um, an extended metaphor, an analogy. But we see in these first six verses, there are four main aspects of this analogy. So I want to point those out first, and then we'll look at the application of this metaphor starting in verse 7. Verses 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 1 to 6, we'll read that first. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So there are four aspects of this extended metaphor. First, there's the shepherd. And you notice in this passage, the shepherd does two things. He calls and he leads. There's really two ways to get sheep to do what you want them to do. You can either lead them from in front of them or you can drive them from behind. Most Western approaches to shepherding use the second approach, the driving approach. My sister actually lives in a part of the province of British Columbia in Canada where they raise, she raises, I think, a few dozen sheep. And they got a few sheep dogs specifically and instinctively, um, I guess genetically, <laughs> trained to, to herd sheep. And so the job of these sheep is to drive these sheep from behind. They push them. And so if the sheep get out of the way, if they're starting to do anything that they shouldn't do, the dogs will nip at them a little bit to get them to go in the direction that they should do. In the culture that Jesus was living in, the first century Jewish culture, the way of a shepherd usually was to lead the sheep from in front of them. And in order to do that, you had to develop a relationship, somewhat of a relationship with the sheep, so the sheep could actually trust the person leading them. So they would have to know that that person leading them from in front, they could recognize, actually identify the voice of that person leading them, and then they could follow. And they would have to be convinced 
that that person leading them had their best interest in mind. Even if the ultimate intention is to eat those sheep, they had to know that this shepherd really wanted to lead them to a place that they should go. So the shepherd would walk in front and the sheep would follow. So that's the first part of the analogy. The shepherd calls and leads. The second part of the analogy is the sheep. The sheep listen and follow. So sheep are not exactly known for their high IQs. Uh, They're not known for their ability in self-preservation. They're vulnerable animals. They need feeding, they need guidance, and they need protection. So in this, this analogy, the sheep really only have two responsibilities, both which correspond directly to the shepherd's responsibility. The shepherd calls and leads. The sheep listen and follow. Sheep are easily spooked. They won't follow, Jesus said in verse 5, the voice of a stranger. And there aren't great expectations on the sheep to do mighty exploits, to form themselves like brave heart sheep into some kind of social networks and overcome. They just listen and follow. So sheep are this picture of vulnerability, humility, and obedience. And they're obedient not because they're virtuous, but simply because their lives depend on it. Third part of the analogy is an enclosure, a gate. The shepherd enters through this gate and then leads the sheep out through that gate into pasture land. And because there's a gatekeeper in verse 3, we're to envision probably a large enclosure. The sheep are not just free to roam anywhere they want to roam, but they're in a place marked off for their own good. They're in an area where they can actually be safe. And actually, the enclosure is not as emphasized as much as the door, the legitimate way to get in and out of this enclosure. We'll come back to that in a moment. And the fourth part of the analogy is the anti-shepherd, the thief or the stranger. And unlike the shepherd who cares for the sheep, has the best interest of the sheep in mind, and will take responsibility for the sheep, there are some who want to use the sheep for their own ends. And these anti-shepherds are described in two ways. First, they're blatantly selfish. They're thieves and they're robbers, and they only want to satisfy themselves. And secondly, they're strangers. The Greek word alatrios refers to somebody who actually belongs to another group, who's not part of this group. So in the analogy, there's a shepherd who speaks and the sheep hear his voice and they discern his voice. And there are these anti-shepherds who have a voice that the sheep is not familiar with. One of the things uh, we've seen here in, in China, the explosion of, 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 of Christianity over the last uh, a few decades, there's many who have not yet learned to discern the shepherd's voice. And so the, it's very, very easy to fall prey to those who have strange voices, who are not really part of the church. And so cults thrive significantly in a place like this. So that's the four aspects of the analogy. Now let's look in verses 7 to 18, and I'll read this, and we'll see how Jesus applies this analogy. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. He says this twice. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 7, I am the door of the sheep, verse 8. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Actually, we'll, go, we'll do that one after a bit. Let's go back to the, the slide I just showed. So Jesus here now, from the, as he makes application, he says two, makes two I am statements. Now, the Gospel of John is kind of predicated on these I am statements Jesus makes. He says seven things about his identity. And the passage that we're reading today, there are two great I am statements. The first, I am the door. The second is I am the good shepherd. I am the door. Of all of his I am statements, this one is probably the most puzzling to us. We can easily grasp the significance of I am the light of the world or I am the good shepherd or I am the uh, water of life. But when we hear that he is the door, maybe we think of a screen door or a mahogany door or French doors and we think, what does this have to do with Jesus? But we also use door as a metaphor for something that we need to go through to get to someplace else. Uh, some of you are old enough, I know Mark Stevenson is easily old enough to remember the rock group The Doors. And actually, you used to be in a rock band. Maybe you played some of The Doors music, Come on, Baby, Light My Fire. <laughs> the name for this group, The Doors, was taken from a William Blake poem that, um, in which uh, Blake wrote about the doors of perception that need to be cleansed so we could see things as they truly are. And so they chose this name, and at the time, there was a lot of LSD being used, right? And so this was one of the hopes of people of, that gen of Mark's generation, that through <laughs> things like LSD, they would have their perception cleansed, and they could see more clearly what is behind that door that's blocking reality. Didn't work out well for Jimi Hendrix, did it? The lead singer of The Doors, who actually died of a drug overdose. Or another thing from Mark's era, let's make a deal, where contestants were asked to choose between door one, two, and three. You remember that show? I know, John, you just turned 50, so you're nodding your head. You saw that. And if they made the right choice, they could get the car behind the door. If they made the wrong choice, they'd get an old pair of shoes or something. But we think of life in those terms, don't we? That behind the door, if we can just find the right door to get through in life, there's going to be a more full, meaningful, and prosperous existence for us. And if I can just choose that door. And so we go through life thinking about all the choices that we have to make because we're hoping that we can find the right door. And Jesus does us a favor in this passage. He narrows it all down to just one single door. <laughs> and he says, that door is me. If you go through this door, you will find the life that you were truly created to find. You'll go in and out, and you'll find pasture. I am the door. The door is the way of salvation. And Jesus says it's found in him alone. They'll find pasture. They'll be cared for. They'll find abundant life. He says this. They will find abundant life. And the definition of life in the Gospel of John is life that is inexhaustible. And this is more than just going to heaven when you die. It's about finding Jesus, the author of life, 
And finding in him now that inexhaustible life that he describes for us, where we're raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, sharing with him right now this life that will never end. And to truly find ourselves with Jesus through that door in an inexhaustible life will color everything that we experience in life. I am the door. The second aspect of the analogy is more thorough. I am the good shepherd, uh, starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and, and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Press enter. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This charge I have received from my Father. There's a difference between these two I am statements. The door is a stationary thing, and the shepherd is living and moving. The door is a material object. The shepherd is a living person. The shepherd is someone with whom the sheep have a relationship. We don't have relationships with doors. And we're more drawn to the shepherd analogy, but I think many of us, and I think most Christians actually build their lives on the door analogy. They enter the door of salvation, but very few may experience this nurturing, ongoing guidance of the shepherd Many Christians, I think, live as deists, believing that God is, is God. He is who he says he is, but not really experiencing him in the fullness of who he is. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he invites us into this living relationship with our protector, with our guide, with our nurturer. And like most of Jesus' I am statements in John's gospel, the shepherd idea is grounded in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were Israel's kings were described as shepherds. Some were good shepherds, others were bad shepherds. The ultimate shepherd was God himself, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One of the most beloved psalms for the church and in Jewish society, one of the most beloved psalms for Jewish believers. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. If the king was a good shepherd, he would lead the people of Israel to their ultimate shepherd, to the very good shepherd. Of all the Old Testament shepherds, perhaps David was the best, the one who most brought people to God. But even he at times would use the sheep for his own selfish ends. We were always expecting, waiting for this 
ultimate shepherd to come who would be truly good and would lay down his life for the sheep. And this is what Jesus says about himself. He contrasts his shepherding style with that of the hired hand. The hired hand takes no ownership of the sheep, would certainly not see sheep as more valuable than his own life. I don't know of any shepherds. I really don't know any shepherds. I know those two sheep dogs my sister have. But if I knew some, I don't think any of them would actually lay down their lives for sheep. What shepherd would think that a sheep is more important than his own life? (laughs) But the good shepherd who looks at us as his sheep, vulnerable and subservient, will lay down his life for us. And this is the major aspect of the analogy. Four times in this analogy, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. The good shepherd will do anything for his sheep to live. He's so concerned about the welfare of his sheep, he'll even die for them. And his objective is to bring those sheep into pasture land. Something we were cut off. We were cut off from that spiritual abundance. We couldn't get there. But our good shepherd so wants us to get there that he'll lay down his life. This is the idea behind the good shepherd. He'll do anything necessary to get us to where we need to go. Jesus said that his sheep will hear his voice. Later in John's gospel, he will write about those well-known words, my sheep hear my voice. The sheep's life depends upon being able to discern the shepherd's voice. It depends upon being able to discern the shepherd's voice. He's given us his Holy Spirit to continually teaching us. I have three questions about this passage, and these are kind of application questions. Three questions that I have. First question is, how do pastors then fit into this analogy? I worked as a pastor for a lot of years, and I kind of have this ongoing role with with people in in the churches where I was a pastor. But how does a pastor actually fit into this, this analogy? The word pastor actually means shepherd. It's the same word as shepherd. So if Jesus is the good shepherd, what role does the pastor play? It's an important question that not only we pastors have to ask, but in the church so you can have a right expectation of your pastor. One day I was listening to an interview of, uh, from a couple of young men who were part of a large megachurch in Florida. And they, these guys had grown up without, fa- without fathers. When they were early teens, they went into this church. And the pastor there began to take on kind of a fatherly relationship with these young men and would shower them with expensive gifts, take them, take them on trips with them. And eventually he began abusing them. And they allowed it to happen for many years until they finally got themselves out of the situation. And whatever that pastor's motives were, he had taken a godlike role in the lives of these young men. That's kind of an extreme example. But it's probably not that unusual, but it makes the point as well. There is a gift of pastor for the church. But this passage emphasizes that there is one good shepherd, one flock, one shepherd in verse 16. So the pastor then has this sort of dual role and dual self-understanding who is more of a sheep than a shepherd. And I think confusion happens when people in the congregation and the pastor himself starts to see himself as more of a shepherd than a sheep. There's one place, I'm not really in favor of this term senior pastor. Um, I, was, I think I was called that back in our church in, in Hong Kong. 
And I never really liked it at the time, but I like it even less now. You know, in the New Testament, there's only one place where the term senior pastor is used. It's actually usually translated as chief shepherd, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Who's it describing? When the chief shepherd Jesus appears, all of us who have done this work of shepherding among the flock will receive our reward. So to take a word that's really only meant to apply to our Lord Jesus, the one good shepherd, and then use it in a human way to describe an individual, I think is a dangerous thing. And it might add to the confusion. I'm all in favor of pastors. I was one for many years and continue to play the role. And you have a great pastor couple here at CCC. But for us as the body of Christ, we need to be very clear that there's one good shepherd. And our role is to help each other come and find that good shepherd who knows where the pasture land is. I don't know where it is for you, but he knows where it is for you. That's the first question. Second question is this. Am I experiencing the abundant life today? The door to abundant life has been opened through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The shepherd wants to bring me into those pastures. There's two things, I think, that rob us of abundant life, the life that Jesus has prepared for us, sin and fear. It's never circumstances or pain that make the abundant life one of impossibility. So even if my in-laws move into my house, or I can't find a job, or I get a death sentence from the doctor, none of those things can rob me of abundant life. Remember, John says abundant life is inexhaustible life. The Apostle Paul was so full of life that while the authorities were deciding whether to let him live or to put him to death, he said, it's all good. Whether I live or whether I die, it's a win-win situation. Because this is the point of abundant life. There's absolutely nothing to lose. It's only my pride and fear that will make me miss out on, what real, on, on, on realizing what Jesus has to offer. So yeah, I may hate it when my in-laws move into my house. But the problem is not so much my in-laws as my own pride or anger. And yeah, I might be deeply disturbed by finding out that I have one week to live. But it's only fear that makes me think I'm losing something rather than gaining something. Sin and fear are the two enemies of abundant life that Jesus has promised to give us. Third question I have as I read this passage is, am I listening to the shepherd's voice? There's so many competing voices in our lives today. And whether we realize it or not, those voices are nurturing our souls in some way. So every day, my soul is being nurtured by the voices that I'm choosing to listen to. Television, movies, news media, advertising, music. And all of them offer some version of the abundant life. And each might suggest some door that I have to get through to find the better life than I have now. But to really be nurtured by the shepherd's voice, and this is vital for us, to be nurtured by the shepherd's voice requires the discipline of prayer, meditating on his word, being in close fellowship with people who are listening to his voice, and truly discerning how to listen to him through these disciplines. 
What's the last thing that the shepherd has said to you? Is Jesus more than a door to get you into heaven or get you into a more prosperous life? Do you know the shepherd who's absolutely committed to bringing you to the place where you need to be? Yesterday I had lunch with a, a friend whose wife was just recently diagnosed with cancer. cancer. This guy is a uh, super intelligent. Every time I'm with him, I feel like I'm just the dumbest person in the world. He's so intelligent, has risen so high in his company, has such a strength of character. And then suddenly you get this news that you're faced with something that you have absolutely no control over. And as I listened to him, I could see that he's walking with the good shepherd. He knows his voice. We are vulnerable sheep. We don't always know that about ourselves, but it's true about us. So to learn now to practice listening to the shepherd's voice will do us so well when we come to that time in our lives when we find out through the circumstances that we're in that we truly are vulnerable sheep. We have no control over our lives. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So as we just finish here, imagine on that hillside, the other sheep are bleeding, bleating, the wolves are howling, and the shepherd's voice cuts through all of the noise. And the shepherd says, come over here and find rest for your souls. And for the, the sheep that are on that hillside, that voice clearer and more reassuring than all of the other sounds around them is heard. We're surrounded every day by so much bleating and howling. But the shepherd is here in the midst of our chaos, speaking, guiding, and nurturing us with his voice. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have said that this is who you are. I ask for myself and for all of us that you'll help us to learn more truly and deeply the reality of you being our good shepherd. I pray today for my friends that are gathered here, those that are so busy, it's difficult to find time just to stop, to be quiet, and to listen. We know our well-being doesn't depend on our discipline, depends on you. But I ask that you would bless our busy friends with the power to, or the, the freedom in their schedules or in their souls just to slow down and listen. I ask for my friends here that are troubled by so many things. Maybe there's many other voices clamoring for their attention. Bless them with the ability to hear your voice through all of the other voices, all the worries, all the fears. I ask for those that are struggling in relationships now that are so confused that you will bless them in the midst of their pain to be able to hear your voice. And thank you that you promised to bring us to the place where we should be. So as your sheep, 
we recognize that we're vulnerable. We aren't really mighty warriors. We're just sheep. 